Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Theater in College Hoops. I'm Subi. Alongside me is Taylor Dammel. We're brought to you by Dash Radio and the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device you use. I actually heard Brock Modem, mm. former big man, the Aussie for Washington State, subscribe. So you should as well. It was either between him or Jock, John Brockman. You remember him, the UW guy? I do. So I kind of wanted to go with a theme of Tall, goofy, white guys with the name Brock somewhere in their name and so, in the Pacific Northwest. This might be a somewhat of a spoiler alert, but Brockman was a consideration for my starting five. Did not make the starting five, but a was a high consideration. Like his name was written down type of close level to, uh, to being considered. Another white dude that I actually wish you would have gone with that I was also considering for my uh, starting five was Roland Shaftenar from Oregon State. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Pac-12 has had some absurd names and just bad. Oh, John Brockman was actually pretty good, but yeah, John Brockman was your quintessential football player who was trying to be a basketball player. He was like the not as good Spencer Hawes. Yeah. Oh, definitely not as good. Spencer <laughs> Hawes had a decent NBA career. <laughs> right. But still big white dude from Washington, you know, so... Yeah, well, I went with the, the Cougar, Brock Modem. But he subscribes to you should as well. Check out the website at thebarnburner.com. That's the-barnburner.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Soupy232 to find out where the feet is and Taylor at Taylor Namel. We're sponsored by Blue Note, artfully crafted small batch bourbon distilled in Memphis and honoring the Memphis Blues. Be noteworthy, Memphis. Stay!
Eight to shoot. Hall, the runner! Loose ball! It's good! With 4.4 to go! Shannon! Don't want to foul! Shannon! From the corner! And it's over! Gonzaga! The flipper still fits! <laughs> We've made it, baby. What, what what can we say? We've made it. Day. College basketball's back. Today is the day. We have this is the peak, the summit of what we've been waiting for for I don't know how many how many days. I'm sure Rothstein could tell us. But it not only do we start just because it's college basketball, but this pretty much, in my opinion, is the best subsegment of the year for sports. I think that's probably everybody's opinion. But I mean, you have a impactful game in every sport almost every night of the week for the rest of the year and actually well really all the way into february you know i mean because there's college football games that are now they, they're starting on tuesday nights and wednesday nights even if it's just maction you know there's still pivotal games yeah still pivotal games there's going to be something on the line every night and like tonight we've got the number of, you know the top four teams in the country playing each other an impactful game right off the get-go and then Saturday, we have Minnesota Penn State in football, and then also LSU-Bama. It is just a delicious, delicious time to be a sports fan. And I was looking finally at the ESPN app because for the past, what, three, four months or whatever it's been, five months, I've just been seeing the uh, Texas Tech-Virginia score. And it's like, fuck, give me something. And you, you go to the news, you try and look for anything in the front page, and it's really kind of been a quiet off season. Nothing, nothing wild has really transpired. I mean, obviously, the, the year prior to that, we were entering the season with this bombshell, or maybe it was two seasons ago, this bombshell about uh, the FBI and cheating, scandal, all that nonsense. And as we've come to now realize, nothing truly has transpired when it comes down to big-time names and big-time coaches. But finally, I got onto ESPN.com today, and I saw this sexy slate of games and I just cannot wait to dive in. It's like, I, so here's the big question, actually. What do we eat while we are watching these games? Because I'm going to be leaving for Arizona for three weeks. There's no point in in going grocery shopping and cooking tonight. My question is, what do I pair alongside with the Champions Classic and these other games? Do I go Chipotle? You know, do I go Chick-fil-A, as we were discussing? The Popeye's mm. chicken sandwich is back. Mm-mm. Do I go a pizza, old reliable wings? This is very crucial to setting the tone. You know what I'm going with. Are you going to do the Chick-fil-A? Pizza. No, pizza pizza all day, every day. When it comes to big-time events, it's Taylor, it's pizza, and it's some CL Smooths on the first day of college basketball. I'm sure Rothstein will be having some catered, beautiful Italian meal or something because he's not a degenerate like we are, but... But I'm going pizza. I'm going pizza. Well, so I'm going to pause right there. I don't know if Rothstein will do that. I actually think Rothstein might be like fasting during these games. That could be true. Actually, you make a really good point there. Almost like a sacrificial, like, uh, or he just doesn't have time. Yeah, that's true. His his fingers, his thumbs are going to be on fire. I hope he's been practicing or working them out because tonight is it's almost like his Super Bowl. Really, this the opening night of the season is enough for Rothstein in terms of what he can digest in an evening. <laughs> That's a very well put. 
Very well put, Toby. No, no Italian cuisine in Upper Manhattan is going to top what he's about to devour tonight, which is awesome basketball. Like you had mentioned, the top four teams all in action playing against each other, and we had alluded to this a few episodes ago. This is one of the rare sports where that happens on the opening weekend. Right, it's not. We had to wait this long for LSU Bama, but right out the gate, we got Michigan State versus Kentucky, and then we got Duke versus Kansas, all in the mecca of basketball MSG. So I cannot wait to talk about those games tomorrow. We'll we'll be recording tomorrow and then dropping a recap episode on Thursday. But today, if you've noticed, we've covered all the big time conferences with the exception of one, and it's in your own backyard. It's the Pac-12. We haven't discussed the Pac-12 just yet, but this is obviously a conference that you and I are most familiar with, having lived there, having gone to a school in the Pac-12, having a lot of friends that have gone to schools in the Pac-12, and having the privilege, really, of being the only ones that stayed up and actually watched Pac-12 basketball, even though fucking the likes of Myron Medcalf and all these other ESPN reporters get paid to do that, and they don't do it. So when I was looking at this Pac-12, Taylor... The first thing that jumps out to me is that there is a clear top four. It is a very polarized conference in my, in my opinion. And in any order that you want, it's Oregon, Colorado, Arizona, and Washington that are the cream of the quote unquote cream of the crop. Everyone else kind of sucks in my opinion, including UCLA and their new coach, Mick Cronin, and also Sharif O'Neal. Uh, much like the big 10, the PAC 12 hasn't won a title in 22 years. It's that mm. Arizona team. And now if it's crazy, kids can, can drink since that, you know, if you were born in, in 97, you're a full year of drinking in. And I'm sure some of those kids were born out of that national title in Tucson. So those were my biggest things when looking at, at the PAC 12, what are some of the things that jumped out to you? Yeah. You know, it's almost the same exact thing is that there's a, there's a clear top four um, and kind of echo, echoing your point. I always think that college basketball is of our major six or seven type of leagues or sports, however you want to phrase it, that are covered nationally. College basketball is the worst covered, has the, has the lowest quality of coverage from a national media standpoint. And it's exactly what you just said. Nobody, for some reason, these people don't, they get paid to cover these games and know nothing about them at all. You know, there are more people in the national media that know uh, about the eighth best team in the Big East or ACC that know about like Colorado who was, could, could legitimately win this conference this year. It's always frustrating because when you read previews or you watch shows or whatever, you, they were always skipped over here in the PAC 12 because a, I don't blame them the last couple of years because this conference has sucked, but B because people don't stay up to watch it and the people who are paid to cover it don't cover it. Well, think about this. Okay. So one of the notes that I have here, and I think it's kind of the overarching point of why this conference is going to be notably better than last year and the previous years before that. Pac-12 has only gotten six total teams into the tournament the last three years combined. That's ridiculous. Are you serious with that stat? Yes, unless I unless I read it wrong. Yes, that, that's that's true. I didn't go Holy back. Holy shit! That's I didn't go bad. back and fact check that. But, um, or excuse me, maybe what it meant by that was only six of the schools have made the tournament in the last three years. Um, I got to think know, it's that. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be that. But anyway, the bit the over, pretty bad. Yeah, the, the big point I'm making, though, is that no conference recruited better than the Pac-12 this last year. 
They have four of the top 11 recruiting classes in the country. There are 28 total five-star recruits from this last recruiting class. Two went to Memphis, two went to Nova, two went to the pros, six went to the ACC, eight went to the SEC, and eight went to the Pac-12, meaning the SEC and the Pac-12 have the most five-star recruits. So there's a lot of top-end talent that this conference hasn't had in a, in a long time. And interestingly enough, a couple of those five-stars didn't go to top, those top four teams. You know, you have USC and Andy Enfield, who seems to recruit well every year. But they have, if, statistically, if you look at the, the ratio of their recruiting class ranking to their end-of-year ranking every single year, it's the worst of any school in the country. Well, if you and, look at a guy like Kevin Porter last year, he was supposed to be awesome, and they stunk. Benny Boatwright. Yeah. Shaquan Aaron. They, they had good players. <laughs> yeah. And, and they suck every year. It doesn't make any sense. I think but, Enfield just busted his nut with FG, FGCU and parlayed it into a big-time gig. No, but, good for, good for yeah, him. And good for a, him. And a smoke wife, good, just all the way around. Yeah. But, no, I think you're right, you know, in saying that there are four good to really good, I'd say better than good, really good teams in this conference. Are any of them Final Four good? I don't know. Three of them probably have the talent to do it if they put it all together. And the rest, you know, there's going to be maybe a couple fringe tournament teams outside of that. That's a really good question of those four. Do they have the potential of going to the Final Four? Because for me personally, I hate doing those predictions. Like I'm not sure. gonna, I'm not gonna sure. say at the end of this episode, give me a national title winner because nobody would have had South Carolina in the Final Four. Nobody would have had uh, Loyola Chicago in the Final Butler Four from years ago. Yeah, yeah right. It just the list goes on. It's too. It's that's why we love it. Obviously, so it, I, I honestly think one way or the other. Yeah, you could you could argue that somehow, some way, a Washington could finally get to a Final Four. Or right. uh, Colorado, or, or 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 Oregon. I'm sure Arizona will break our hearts again in the Elite Eight. But who knows? Maybe they can pull off the impossible and get to a Final Four under Sean Miller. But it's going to be a fun a fun season in the Pac-12. And I do agree with you that there's a lot more anticipation than there have been in previous years. And I, I think it's because of that top end talent that's come in. But I also think it's kind of a scenario as well where you can't you can't really get much worse. Than what the Pac-12 no right there is only you could only go up from there so you know I and that's what's that's what's great is really I can't remember or I can remember but I should say it hasn't been in the last couple of years where we've looked at the conference as a whole and gone okay like we got some talent here you know like the complete butt of every joke you know in Arizona we looked at and and one of the things I've always said for years is I I pretty much just said fuck the conference like we're the best team in the conference. Uh, who cares what else happens, you know, because we were, we more than any other team or Arizona more than any other team over the last decade or so has been picked to win, picked to go to the elite eight final four more often, Oregon a couple times in there as well. But so pretty much before that, I was like, well, whatever, it doesn't matter. Arizona is the best team in this conference. Big deal. This year, I would say because that top end four teams are so good that we need to almost I do care a little bit more about the rest of the conference and the non-conference schedule and whatever, because if everybody takes a shit right away, then it, we're just going to be looked at as the same old Pac-12. Whereas now over, we need the Washington, the Colorado, the Arizona, 
the Oregon to all play well so the Pac-12 can rise as a, as a whole. And because, you know, really, if you look, and this maybe kind of isn't the same question as are any of these teams Final Four good, is are any of these teams top four seed good? And that's where the non-con is going to be probably more important to the Pac-12 than any other conference because they need to win those games against like Baylor and Gonzaga, for example, to say, okay, this conference is actually good and deserving of a 3-2. I don't see a one seed from this conference, but, you know, a top, you know, multiple top four seeds. There's a lot of opportunity outside of the conference in terms of the non-con games. And the the showing last year in the tournament just wasn't very good at all. And even in the non-conference schedule with the Pac-12 last year was horrific. But this year there's a lot of good opportunities. Arizona, for I know off the top of my head, is playing Gonzaga and Illinois and Baylor. Those are three big-time games for them. Uh, and then also I know Colorado's playing Kansas. I'm not expecting them to win, but if they can be – well, actually, Kansas at home has had their troubles. Like they lost the to Colorado, they lost to Colorado a couple of years ago at home. They lost to ASU the past two years, so who right. knows? Maybe the Pac-12 has built. It's, it was like the only non-conference win the Pac-12 had any of those seasons. Yeah, it, it, that one. Like yeah. I, that's that's awesome. And it ended I up being so inconsequential in the end to the outcome of the entire season. Correct. I, I do suppose that if you're only going to get like one win in the non-con, it might as well be. In Lawrence against a top five team. That's pretty cool. They were number one last year. Kansas was when ASU. Well, and then, of course, Kansas obviously ended up not being as good as as anticipated. But at the time, I wasn't even rooting for ASU. I can't even. No, neither was I. I I was actually upset. Yeah, right. Exactly. I was upset. Like, what the fuck, Kansas? But yeah, right. <laughs> there's uh, there's a lot to dive into here, and we will start with Coach of the Year, Taylor. Who's going to win Coach of the Year in the Pac-12? So, uh, my Coach of the Year was probably going to come from any of those top four teams. So I looked at it and I said, okay, so Altman has had a lot of success recently. Hopkins won it last year and Washington won the conference last year. And and Sean Miller has his issues with the media and the FBI stuff and whatever. And so that only left one person and that was Tad Boyle. So I picked Tad Boyle from Colorado as my coach of the year. And that doesn't even necessarily mean that they need to win the conference for him to be coach of the year. The only thing that could happen, I think in my mind, the only thing that can happen for Tad Boyle to not win coach of the year is for them to not finish in the top four of the conference. Cause I think the other three guys, especially Altman and Miller have won a number of the PAC 12 coach of the year awards. And uh, Hopkins won it last year. So you get a little bit of that recency, um, not biased, but, uh, tired of the of the retread, yep. and so that's why I think Tad Boyle is going to win. I think it's going to. I think it would be his second uh, Pac-12 Coach of the Year. I think he won it Not like sure. his first year at Colorado or second uh, when they were had that sneaky good team. Yeah, uh, uh, it must have been like in thirteen or twelve. I think or yeah, I think, somewhere in there. And, I think they played UConn in the tournament actually. Right, right. And so I went with Tad Boyle. They return Colorado specifically returns ninety five percent of their minutes played last year. They have no new people. Well, I mean, they do, but like a couple guys on the end of the bench. They return every player that was impactful for them last year. And so if I'm following how I've predicted some of the other conferences, say the Seton Halls from the Big East or what, what or Illinois from the, um, from the Big Ten, then I have to have that continuity here with Colorado, at least in the coach of the year, and that they're going to be good because – they return everybody. I like McKinley Wright. 
Uh, a, a sneaky guy for Colorado is going to be Dallas Walton, who missed all of last year with an ACL injury. He's a big seven-footer. It's going to be big defensive presence down low. Uh, Tyler Bay is a double-double machine, averaged 13.5 and, and 10 last year. So I think you got a lot of – they're not uber-talented, but they're talented enough to go along with the continuity that they'll have being brought over from last year that they're going to finish high enough in the conference that Tad Boyle is going to win the coach of the year, in my opinion. So, again, we're off to a bad start here because I got <laughs> Tad Boyle also. And I actually thought I was going to zig when I thought you would zag. But Tad Boyle is going to win coach of the year because of those reasons that you had said. Yeah, if you look at the other coaches, there's going to be the recency bias with Mike Hopkins, potentially. Oregon and Dana Altman. Although I will say Oregon and Dana Altman and some of their players, like whenever you think that they're not going to win – an award their players do like for example right. joe young uh, he Mighty. won pac 12 player of the year like why the fuck did he win pac 12 player of the year but well he, he ended he up winning have i know but that's know. a whole other story yeah exactly so i got tad boyle as well because and, and i'm actually i'm actually going to be going against everything in my fiber that has taught me about tad boyle that is that, oh, I, that i've seen through colorado i actually don't think that he's a great coach I don't think he's good at all, but he does have a decent team like you had mentioned, and he's going to ride his upperclassmen. It's going to come down to McKinley, right? I mean, Tyler Bay and Dallas Walton are, are – it's a great, great returning two front court there with those two, but it is McKinley Wright's team, and you know how much I do love point guard play. And actually, right. I think he was the best point guard last year in the Pac-12. I think it's going to become – it's going to come down to either him or Nico Mannion for uh, the best point guard in, in that conference as well. But McKinley Wright, for despite his stature, is is a killer. I mean, he killed Arizona. He's hurt a lot of uh, opposing teams. He is a very good player that I think you're going to need to get to know his name. He's not going to do anything at the next level. But in terms of what he can do on the collegiate level, he's going to help Tad Boyle get, get that coach of the year. Uh, so another thing, I'm going to do a little qu- pop quiz for you, oh. see if you were paying attention. Oh, I picked Brad Underwood to win the Big Ten Coach of the Year, right? Okay. And then I also picked, uh, fuck, who was it? Kevin Willard, I think, Mm -hmm. to win Big East Coach of the Year. No. No. Fuck, who am I thinking of? All right, I'll just go with. Uh, I'll just. Go I didn't, with know, Brad I didn't know this was a pop quiz for yourself too. I didn't realize I we know. were both participating in the pop quiz. Continue All right, so on. I'll just I'll just start with with Brad Underwood. Okay. All right, one of the reasons I did this with another coach whose name is clearly escaping me right now, but one of the reasons I picked him was what? What was one big reason? Returners. Uh... Maybe I wasn't paying attention. You didn't really give me a ton of examples here. So so basically, the reason why I, I picked him was that they got hot towards the end of the year. Okay, sure. Right. And so Colorado is, you know, they, they, were, they were a hot team at the end of the year, especially in conference play. They won their last nine out of 11 regular season conference games. And I think that's huge. A lot of the time, I really do take into account momentum towards the end of the year. And I think they're going to be able to bring that into this upcoming year. And Colorado is one of those teams, and this is going to play in Tad Boyle's favor for coach of the year. They're one of those teams with quote expectations this year 
but they're not really expectations. And that's right. it's it's an, it's another way of saying what you said, which is they don't have to win the conference. If they do, that's pretty awesome. Like people in Boulder will go crazy. Uh, I don't think a lot of people have them winning the conference, but they still have those expectations, which I think is finishing somewhere in those top four. So I think Tad Boyle has more than enough to, to be able to accomplish that. Again, I don't think he's that great of a coach, but uh, you know, experience is going to be crucial for them, and, and they have loads of it in the players that played last year, but especially McKinley Wright, Tyler Bay, and Dallas Walton. So they were picked second by the me- in the media poll, but I think it was almost uh, splitting hairs between some of the other teams. And this was actually before, as we'll get to, some of the key transfers got in other schools got some late eligibility that I think will maybe push them over the top. Um, Colorado has a little bit of a home court advantage, maybe over say uh, some of the other teams in the conference. You know, I would still say like Arizona has a better home court advantage. I would say Oregon has a similar home court advantage, but Colorado for a big game is actually a really cool atmosphere. And you have the altitude that is always plays in. And so I'll say this about Colorado. Colorado is not going to be the team that goes furthest in the NCAA tournament. And I don't even, I don't think they're the best team in the conference, but they probably have the highest floor and the lowest ceiling of those four teams. I think that when I reference which of these teams can get, uh, go to the final four, Colorado, despite the fact that they're going to have the coach of the year and they're going to compete for the PAC 12 title is to me, does not have that type of aspirations this year, and they do not have that type of talent. But they do have a bottom. Their floor is so high because of their experience. And we've heard players, uh, you know, Pac-12 alumni or Pac-10 alumni, that even though the Pac-10 or Pac-12 from back in the day doesn't have the toughest places to play in the country, like nobody thinks, oh, my man, going to Oregon State on the road is a tough one, or going to Washington State to the Palouse on the road is a tough one. What happens in the Pac-12 on road trips is complacency, is road trips end up getting stretched out for like five, six days because you fly into Spokane, Washington on a late January night, and then you have to bust down to Wazoo, and then it's, you know, it's a Wednesday, and then you have to play on Thursday, but then you don't play Washington until Sunday, and then so you're just in, you're either in Seattle or you're in random ass uh, Pullman, Washington for like four days. And so having some senior experience, although the on the court actual atmosphere is not as tough, being able to bide your time and stay focused on these Pac-12 road trips, because Pac-12 road trips work differently than every other conference. It's paired. You always go, you always play at Washington and Washington state on the same road trip. Every other conference is just kind of a random where at Wisconsin one day, we're at Illinois two weeks from now, whatever. So having some senior leadership, with someone like McKinley Wright, well, he's a, a junior, but having that type of consistency and continuity is key for those road trips. And we've seen, as Arizona fans, where do we always lose road games? Oregon. Oregon State. And they pick us up. They picked us off like five times without looking at it in the, you know, over the course of a decade there, even though we always come in, or Arizona always comes in as like the number one team in the country. And then we lose to like fat Joe Burton, or whatever, and Roland Schaffner. But that's where having the uh, you know this type of continuity is key in the Pac-12 is to kind of uh, understand how to uh, treat 
these long road trips that they have. And so that's why I think their floor is really high. I think they are the least likely of these teams to suffer a major road upset at like an Oregon state. Yeah. So first thing I want to go back to your point about the pairings and how that's how you do PAC 12 road trips. All I wanted to say was shout out to the pairs. Uh, second thing though, was that there's always that one game on Super Bowl Sunday that nobody is thinking about because everyone's watching the Super Bowl. Right. And so I kind of feel like Pac-12 teams that have to play during that time slot because it's it's smack dab right in the middle of the Super Bowl. I feel like some of those players just know that nobody's watching. They kind of want to watch the Super Bowl also. And then that's when you see some of these big upsets. So watch out for whomever is playing on that Pac-12 <laughs> or that, that Super Bowl Sunday because Arizona lost to Washington a couple years ago. Uh, during the Eagles Eagles uh, Patriots Super Bowl, and you know they they really had no business losing that game, but that's that's just another reason. But I, I am kind of surprised. A, what that a scheduling nugget that is, by the way. Thank you. Every that. single year, there is a game. There is a Pac-12 game played right during the Super Bowl, and as if nobody cares about the Pac-12 as it is, that's not helping either. No, absolutely not. It's just such a lame conference. Thank you, Larry Scott. Yeah, we have nobody to thank but him. What an asshole. But I am a little shocked that we both had Tad Boyle. Like I said, I, I thought I was going to go uh, away from well, what you were thinking. But again, like is... I just have zero. It's a gut thing for me. For me, it's a gut thing. I don't think he's a good coach whatsoever. Well, and as we've discussed before, the Coach of the Year award is not the best coach in the conference award. Tad Boyle's like the sixth best coach, coach in this conference. Maybe. Maybe worse than that. Like, I think Wayne Tinkle's arguably a better coach than Tad Boyle is. Mick Cronin's a better coach, and he's hasn't even done anything yet in the back. Right, but, but the Coach of the Year award is not the best coach in the conference award. So that's why I think we both have Tad Boyle more than anything else. Important distinction. All right, let's move on to Player of the Year. Who's your Player of the Year here? Speaking of the Tinkles, I went with Trey. Trace uh, Tinkle. There at Oregon State. It was tough, but not tough in a way as well. Because you look at uh, who's going to score the most points in this conference per game this year. That's a question to you. Trace. Trace Tinkle. (laughs) Right. Who's going to have the biggest impact on his team's success, even if they don't have success? Oh, that's been Trace Trace Tinkle. Tinkle. Yeah, right. I mean, there's just no getting around that he's going to stuff the stat line, just like he did last year. He averaged 21, 8, 4, and 2 last year. And even though Oregon State isn't that good, I think they have an outside opportunity to be a surprising team this year. If I had to pick one team that sucked, that was going to be a surprising team, it's going to be him just because they have traits Tinkle. And they do have a decent big man in, uh, in Kyler Kelly, Another guy, Ethan Thompson, who averaged 14 points a game last year. But, I mean, whatever. They suck. They they suck. I think you're doing way too much to be nice to them. They stick up. They have, like, nobody else returning on that whole roster. And they got a bunch of, like, Juco and random transfers and shit. Um, They actually have a guy named Sean Miller on their roster, which is funny. Sean Miller. Well, Sean Miller Moore is his name. That's a little nugget for you, for any of my Oregon State fans out there. But I think Tinkle's going to win just from a, a, a fact that these other teams at the top, as we've talked about, they all have several studs. All, you know, the other three teams outside of Colorado that we talked about, 
all have two or more five-star recruits that are coming into their team this year. And so those guys, the Nico Mannions of the world, the Jaden Jaden McDaniels of the world, those guys are going to split with the Isaiah Stewarts and the Josh Greens and whatever. Uh, uh, the Infali Dante, depending on how what his injury, injury situation works out there, or CJ Walker with Oregon. I think they're all just going to, they're all really good and they're all super talented, but they're all just going to kind of split hairs with each other. And in the end, it's going to be Tinkle that comes in. And I mean, he's going to average like 23, 24 yeah. points a game this year, if not more. I mean, he, he could legitimately have an NBA all-star type of stat line, like a 24 and 10 and four average stat line every single game this year. Well, you're not going to get a greener light than than Trace Tinkle is going to have because he is clearly the best player on a terrible team. So it's like, dude, if you're not shooting, what the hell else are we going to do? You have right. to you have to shoot and you have to produce for us. Uh, two things before I get to my player of the year. One, uh, you had mentioned in Folly Dante, Oregon. That's another big time out of conference opportunity for their Pac-12 team because they play Memphis. That's going to be a big game, and I think they play them in Portland. So that's pretty much a home without, game. Without without Dante, without Dante, no. yeah, right. but, but, true. But that that's again, you got to look at it as an opportunity in the sense that if we win against a top twenty-five team uh, out of conference without arguably our best player, then who knows what the road ahead could look like. Right. But but yes, Trace Tinkle, I am agreeing with you again. Shit. Yay. So, uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we don't go three for three here with the regular season champ. But I actually think Trace Tinkle was one of the uh, probably the only one that I thought we were going to agree upon here because it, for me, it came down to him and McKinley, right? I've already talked about McKinley, but Trace Tinkle, he's a stat stuffer, man. He does ev- literally everything for that team. And so he's been consistently really good for Oregon state. And I feel bad for Tinkle because he's just, he's in the middle of nowhere. He's in Corvallis. They don't care about basketball at Oregon state, but he's been consistently great. Uh, he has an awesome name and he's actually the newest member of the, the Van Wilder house. In my wow. opinion, wow. He's been there forever. He's a fifth year senior, I think this year. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, you're kind of as a fan of a team in the PAC 12, you kind of just keep saying to yourself, God damn it. How is Trace Tinkle still there? Because Oregon State, Trace Tinkle and Oregon State, this is the perfect example for them. They are the team that has, you know, you're going to win the game. Like, you know, you're going to beat Oregon State. And I know you had mentioned Arizona struggles against them a couple times, but let's say at home, you know, you're going to beat them. But Trace Tinkle is the one guy that will drop like 15 and a half and keep the Beavers within three points to make you just think a little bit about the final result. Again, Deep down, you know your team is going to beat Oregon State, but Trace Tinkle does just enough for like half or maybe three quarters of the of the game where you're like, "Fuck, we can't get a larger lead than seven against against He's Oregon a, a State." Perfect example of like the under eight timeout in the second half. He like hits a three coming out of timeout, and it's like yeah. a five point game, and you're like, "Jesus Christ, can we can we just end get this?" <laughs> right. can, like I want to want. Like I want to go back to watching the Super Bowl and Trace Tinkle is like stuck. <laughs> and Trace Tinkle scored thirty eight, right? It's just it's but and then but then you inevitably know Trace Tinkle after doing quite literally everything for that team is just probably going to burn out with about five minutes to go. So, uh, right. but Trace Tinkle is you know amazing career at Oregon State as well rivals the career of another Oregon State great and Gary Payton Jr. But that senior night is going to be something because. 
It's going to uh, be cool. Really it's going to cool. be really cool because if you don't know already, his dad is the head coach, Wayne Tinkle. And it just, for me, it sucks when a good player is on a consistently awful ball club and you know that his dad is trying his best to, to build a, to, to build some sort of contender. And he had that with Gary Payton Jr. for one, you know, they caught lightning in a bottle for one year. They were there in the tournament. But I, I kind of fear for Wayne Tinkle because I think he was trying to get at least two tournaments out of this run with with his son, maybe. And I'm, I'm, I'm fearful for Wayne because I like him a lot, and I think a lot of people in Corvallis really like him. But if you take a step back, what has he really done in, in his tenure there? Nothing. Well, and that was kind of the point that, you know, one of the reasons, I don't know if maybe you could say it was one of the reasons, but that was part of the excitement of Wayne Tinkle when he got hired is that his son was so damn good that we were going to usher in a new era of Oregon State basketball. And in reality, it's just gone back to being the same old Oregon State basketball. And so it's going to be tough because at least for five years, you, if you were Wayne Tinkle, you could hang on to the fact that my son was maybe the best player in the conference. So they're not going to fire me and lose the best player on the team. Now with, with him gone, you're exactly right. After this year, it's like, well, it might be a tournament or gone type of situation. And I, I mean, I can't see them making the tournament by any means. So Right. Yeah. I, I just don't think that the future is very bright for Wayne at, at Oregon State. But hopefully he'll get this season he'll get to see his son flourish and i think he will this will be a nice consolation prize if you will for the amount of time spent at that program by trace tinkle and the tinkles themselves because i think wayne is a is a graduate he's an alum right he's he's a beaver i believe um i'm not sure i thought they were from montana he's from that area that's all that matters i guess nobody of relevance is a oregon state guy but i mean (laughs) Yeah, but, yeah, Tinkle went to he went to school at University of Montana. Montana. Okay. Well, yeah. maybe how about this? That's actually pretty decent, Wayne. If you get canned from Oregon State, go coach at Montana. I'm sure they'd love to have you there. Fun stat for you here: uh, Montana's football coach also had gotten fired from his big job at UNLV and is now back at, at University of Montana. So this is it's funny you say that because they do have. Uh, there is some uh, precedent set by the University of Montana that they would do something like that. Well, you know what, Wayne? Enjoy this year. We'll see you at Montana within the next two years or so. But enjoy uh, Trace, hopefully winning the Pac-12 Player of the Year, and then, of course, Senior Night as well. All right. Talk to me about Go your... Grizz. Go Grizz. <laughs> yeah, I know you had to get that one in there. All right. <laughs> Talk to me about your regular season, champ. So I... Looked at the, the three other teams because I don't actually think that Colorado is going to win the conference. I think that they're going to be at best second because I, I think one of the other three teams is going to put it all together. The other three teams being Oregon, Arizona, and Washington. So I looked at those three who clearly have the most talent. From a talent aspect, those three are way well and above everybody else, even Colorado. And so I said, okay, so who has the best returners? And so I looked at Washington's roster and I said, okay, they don't have the, they lost the most of those two teams last year. So I said, okay, for me, it's between Oregon and Arizona now trying to fight my bias as an Arizona fan. And one thing put it over the top for me that was going to 
put Oregon, Arizona over Oregon to win that conference. And if we this if we would have done this a week ago, I maybe would have not said Arizona. But right now, today, after Jamar Burrow Baker got his uh, uh, transfer eligibility uh, waiver granted, that is that's actually it seems like a small reason because he's not even potentially going to be a starter. He probably should be, but he might not be a starter. That specific reason is going to be why I'm picking Arizona to win the conference. And there's one stat that that is going to be the reason that, why I'm that he's going to be such an impactful um, uh, addition to the team. And that is that, as we've seen as Arizona fans forever, Sean Miller cannot play against a zone defense. Right? It's just terrible. Of course, it not. is. It is just ridiculous, and it just kills us every single game of the year. Now, what we have, or what Arizona has this year, especially with Baker now, is a really solid outside shooter that can break his own. And so the stat is this. There's five teams in the Pac-12 ranked in the top 25% of zone defense uh, uh, likelihood last year, with Washington actually even played more zone than Syracuse did last year. Believe it or not, you know, obviously Hopkins is a disciple of Bayheim. So if we if Arizona wouldn't have had one more shooter to put them over the top to get maybe just two or three more buckets a game you need in those type of late game situations at an Oregon, at a Washington, whatever, then I wouldn't have picked Arizona. But because they have that one more shooter now, that was my biggest difference maker between Arizona and Oregon for the winning for winning uh, the uh, the conference. I will say this too. Uh, the Infante, uh, Infante, Dante. The Dante, thank you, Christ. His injury situation is a little worrisome as an Oregon fan. I know he's supposed to come back in December. Is it his injury or eligibility? I think it's an injury. Or was it undisclosed reasons? As I'm not sure. Yeah, right. Well, that's just, Regardless well, his absence. Yeah, his absence. And we see this with Oregon almost every year because they've pretty much become transfer you. It takes them a while, some years to really piece everything together. Let's look at last year, last year, the first two thirds of the season, they were a completely average college basketball team. The last 10 games, 15 games of the season, they were a top 10 worthy basketball team. And so can Altman put it together to enough time to win the conference? Maybe. Do they have enough time to put it together that they might be the best team by the end of conference play? Sure. But that also requires them to have it together. To say that they're going to win the conference, that means they also have to have it together on January 1st and not lose a couple in there while they're trying to put things together as you know as they might by the end of or the beginning of March. So I think with Arizona having, my opinion, the best point guard in the conference, which is something that uh, Sean Miller teams have, have lacked, really, for uh, since TJ McConnell. And then the, the talent, other than that, that they're bringing in, and a couple returners that are uh, important. That you know, I don't think extremely highly of a guy like Chase Jeter. I don't think he's all that good, but it is important to have like a fifth-year guy that's center down. He understands his role. He knows he's not the star. Whatever. So I, I I just looked at Arizona's returners as just one touch better than like Peyton Pritchard and Oregon's returners. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good pick. Arizona is absolutely going to be a threat. They are, they're back to being a Pac-12 title threat, which is not where we were talking, where we were sitting last year. 
Arizona had zero expectations going into last year, and they quote unquote met those expectations. I think they were a, <laughs> somehow they maybe didn't even meet them. Yeah, yeah right. I think they're yeah. It's that meme. It's like I knew we were going to be back or bad, but holy fuck, this is bad. <laughs> we always have that. We we got that Devonair Dutree tipping against Oregon, actually against Oregon State last year. Mm-hmm. Game winner, but uh, I do think you had mentioned the name Chase Jeter. I actually think it's going to come down to him whether or not they win the win the conference. And Chase Jeter is when he, when he transferred, it was supposed to be a big deal, and he he was a little bit he was battling some injury last year, so I'll give him give him a pass there. But he's going to have to be huge in order for Arizona to win. And that Jamal Baker uh, eligibility. Uh, clearance is huge. It's huge for Arizona. And real quick, Dante will not be eligible to play in the Ducks' first nine games of the season after the NCAA missed his clearance date. I don't know what that means. But they use the term eligibility. I don't know if he's still hurt or whatever it is, but Dante out for the first uh, nine games of the season. Right. Thank you. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Semantics. They matter. Words words, they matter. And I will add to this is that – I said that Arizona's returners are better than Oregon's and I should maybe rephrase that because Peyton Pritchard is probably the best single returner of those two teams combined. I just am expecting a large leap from people like uh, Devin or Dutrieve, for example. So I'm looking for the others to maybe rise up the other returners to rise up. And I am honestly, I know Peyton Pritchard is really, really good. Like I, I get that. I just don't, I don't, I don't think love, Peyton I, I, good. I'm sorry. I, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't think he's that good. He's just a, he's just a college point guard that has been on successful teams. He, I mean, he's he's Peyton Pritchard is the guy who is a starter, but he's also alongside a Tyler Dorsey. He's starting alongside Dylan Brooks. He's starting right. alongside like these these studs, Kenny Wooten. Starting alongside Lewis King. He's starting and and these teams have been to Final Fours and Sweet Sixteen. So you're kind of like. Oh, Dylan Brooks was sick in college. Tyler Dorsey was sick in college. They went to a Final Four. Oh, who's the point guard on that team? It was Peyton Pritchard. He also, by association, must be very good. I'm here to tell you he's not. Uh, Peyton Pritchard, not that great. But he's a stabilizing force for Oregon, and that's what a lot of teams don't have is Nico Mannion's awesome. Don't get me wrong, and I think he either him or McKinley will be the best player in this best point guard in this conference. But the fact that you have a guy like Peyton Pritchard, who's been through the trenches, through the wars and has played in big time games, which Nico has not, which McKinley is not, is an advantage. Despite the fact that I don't think he can like dribble and chew gum at the same time. So there is, there is an advantage to uh, one of the transfers that Oregon got this year, uh, Anthony Mathis. And he actually was, you know, when it, when we talk about can a team come together with so many moving parts, so many new people, him and Pitt Pritchard were high school teammates. They like lived together from like middle school on or whatever, you know, so they actually have a really good rapport with each other, which might help, you know, those two guys being your backcourt, your starting backcourt, that that might be a stabilizing for even more of a stabilizing force than you see with, with seeing a normal transfer type of situation. So I'm happy, though. Because I do not have Oregon winning the regular season championship or Arizona, excuse me. Right. Don't have Arizona winning the regular season title. I actually have them coming in at number two. But let me say this I think Arizona by the end of the year will be ranked the highest out of the four teams that we mentioned Oregon, uh, Colorado, and Washington being the other teams. Uh, it, it might be between them and Oregon as to who's going to be ranked the highest, but I'll give the edge 
to to Arizona. I think they're going to get the uh, the highest seed out of all these Pac-12 teams that we're discussing, but they won't win the Pac-12 tournament uh, because I think they're going to do majority of their damage outside of the conference. That's where they're going to see their rankings rise, and they'll be really good, obviously, in conference. But I actually think Colorado is going to ah, win the okay. conference again. Let me reiterate: I don't, and I'm going to sound like a hater on this episode because I've already said my piece about about Peyton Pritchard. I'm going to double down, triple down on Tad Boyle saying that he is not a good coach, but you had mentioned that. And we had mentioned that the expectations aren't real quote unquote, actual expectations in Colorado. I think though, part of the reason he's going to win the PAC 12 is because he's going to have a team that won the conference title. And I can't remember the last time Colorado was able to do that. So Tad Boyle, again, not a good coach, but Colorado is going to win the Pac-12 title because it's a war of attrition, but it's in it's in a bad way. Does that make sense? The Pac-12 is think about SEC football, right? That in the NFC North and football, and obviously the NFL. It's a war of attrition between six and three teams, between undefeated teams like Alabama and LSU. The Pac-12 is a war of attrition between absolute bums, right? It's <laughs> it's a war of attrition because Arizona will go into a Washington state or they'll go into ASU, which is a rivalry game. Sure. But they'll go into these winnable games and they'll lose. And it's not just Arizona that does that Washington, Oregon. They all did that. They, they've the PAC 12 is not, they don't have one or two dominant teams where you can absolutely say they're hundred percent going to win this game. I have full faith that they will go in and win this game. Uh, but the fact that, McKinley Wright, who I hold in a very high esteem, uh, is on this is on this Colorado team. I actually think he's going to help them avoid some of those losses. Colorado's going to have losses in conference. These oh, yeah. teams are all going to have losses in conference. It just comes down to who's going to limit those losses, and I think Colorado does that. Their first test will actually come against ASU in Shanghai, so they have a they have a Pac-12 game right off right out the gate. To, to get them going. And ASU's no pushover now. Colorado is better, and they're in China, so I don't know how that's going to ha- affect them. But I'm going to take Colorado over ASU to start the season. And if you win that, it absolutely sets the tone with having that conference win under your belt. Additionally, they're testing themselves within these first couple weeks. I mean, they are, they are, they're going to have to rip the Band-Aid off. There's no slow starts to this. And actually, Colorado might be my biggest risk that i'm taking i think we talked about purdue we had set a date where we need to revisit if they're going to win the pack or the big 10 title we can do that much sooner for colorado and again this is a purely gut decision i'm going against everything i know about colorado and tad boyle but they're testing themselves early because we're going to learn a lot about them even before like we start putting up christmas lights i'm talking about on december 7th they're going to go to kansas Right, it's an old Big Twelve matchup, which is pretty cool. But they go into Kansas again, not expecting them to win that game in Lawrence, but I am expecting them to keep it close and to be competitive. Their schedule to begin the season is super difficult as well, with Oregon, ASU, and Arizona within three weeks of each other. Hmm. I think only one of those games is at home. Yeah, that's not good. It's a tough, tough beginning. But if they can go two and one there. And, you know, if they can go two and one between Oregon, ASU, and Arizona, I think they're in pretty decent shape to, to go ahead and win the conference tournament or, excuse me, the regular season uh, championship. But again, I can't stress this enough. This is full gut 
t- like I'm, I'm, I'm taking them based off what I'm feeling. This is a purely emotional feeling. Like, can I see Tad Boyle in Colorado cutting down the nets on senior day? Yeah, I think I can. But if after these three games, they're like 500, fuck it, I'm out. Right. right. <laughs> so, you know, we could say the same thing about maybe uh, Arizona as well as how, we, how we're going to feel about them uh, early in the year. They play Gonzaga. They play Baylor. Like we said, they play Illinois. Washington also plays Baylor in Anchorage, Alaska here next week or uh, this week on November 9th. Yeah, on Friday or Saturday. So that'll be a great early season indication to see how how well Washington is coming together. And then they play, you know, Baylor will play Arizona just within the several weeks of that. So we'll get to see, hey, okay, here's a, here's a, a, a what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, familiar opponent, a oh, shared no, opponent no. where we can say, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. you know, both these teams. And Baylor's good as well. So this isn't like yeah. playing a South Alabama Tech you know, like, oh, well, we won by 55 and they won by 54, you know, whatever that right. team is better. This is going to be like a legitimate matchup that we're going to be able to see two of the top teams in the conference against the same opponent. And then, like you said, Colorado with Kansas, that's going to be an awesome one. And really, like I said, in previous years, we're where I'd have been like, well, that'd have been cool to see Kansas lose. Whereas this is more like a, I'm actively rooting for someone in, a, in the Pac-12 to win rather than the uh, team that they're playing to lose, if that right. makes sense. No, it does. And I think the, the only difference that I'll point out between, let's say, in Arizona with those uh, those games, like you had mentioned, Gonzaga, Illinois, Baylor, so those are all out of conference, and they're a good litmus test, but point blank period. And maybe you can take away what you can for Pac-12 play, but at the end of the day, if they go 0-3, that does not impact their chance whatsoever of winning the Pac-12. Sure. Right. right. Whereas Colorado has... They play ASU twice to start the season, and then Oregon and Arizona. They could easily go one and three in those games, but right. I, like I'm, I'm basically just saying I have enough faith in McKinley Wright and Tyler Bay and and the the other returners to not let that happen. So while Arizona and Washington have big tests out of conference to start the season, which is what a lot of people have, you know that's typically a normal schedule. Colorado outside of Kansas, who they're just expected to be competitive with Oregon, ASU and Arizona right out the gate. And so that's going to, and again, not only is it a litmus test for them, but it actually counts towards whether or not they're going to make me look like an asshole with my prediction. So interestingly, Oregon, the other top three teams in the conference, Oregon, Washington, and Arizona all also play Gonzaga in the out of conference this year. And then we're not even ta- we're not even counting the, I think it's the Wooden Classic in Anaheim, right? And uh, is it Saint? But uh, teams aren't great there, are there? Is it in Saint John's or something like that? It's pretty decent, I think. There's Providence. Oh yeah, Providence as well. Yes, you yeah. are correct. There's and I mean Arizona. Last time they played Providence, they lost in the tournament, so mm. they're going to mm-hmm. need to Sean. Oh. Sean will look to avenge that loss or, do we need to bring the providence crier back for more uh, about reminiscing about that game we'll bring the crier back and uh, hopefully talk some shit to him so question for you then why didn't did either or did neither you or i pick washington for this because they might they had the most arguably the most talented recruiting class in the you know they have the two top 10 recruits they have another starter that's solid uh that's a freshman as well 
And then Quade Green, the other big time transfer that got late eligibility, is now going to be the from Kentucky is now going to be kind of like the driving force in the backcourt that's going to stabilize this team. So why wouldn't we pick Washington? Because they are arguably as talented, if not more talented, than these other three teams. And we've talked mainly about picking Arizona, Oregon, or Colorado. Why didn't we pick Washington? I think it's a combination of two things. Number one, the conference is better than it was last year. And so Washington had really good players last year, actually. You look at what Matisse Thibel was doing at at Washington and what he's doing now with the Sixers. It comes as no surprise that anyone's to anyone that has watched Thibel but he was incredible in college. Oh, and, and Noah, Noah, Noah Dickerson, Dickerson. Jalen yeah. Noel. Yeah, yeah, right. They were all very good. And so I think they were the old Washington was really the only ranked team out of the Pac 12 to start the season and throughout the year. And they even hovered between the 20 and 25. So it's not like they were that great, but it just goes to show you how god awful the Pac 12 truly was. And Washington, I think, was the clear team to beat last year. And nobody was able to do it because they did win the regular season title. I think that everyone else is caught up. I think that uh, Arizona and Oregon has still returned some of their key contributors. That And then they're coupling that with, let's say, Nico Manny and Josh Green, two five-star recruits. And then Dante over there at Oregon. The competition has risen. And so in, a, in, in the case like that, and then you look at Colorado, who's returning every single Everybody. person, right? So when that happens, who do I look at? I'm going to look at the three. I, I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head, but Tad Boyle, Sean Miller, and uh, Dana Altman – are the three most tenured head coaches in the Pac-12, it seems like. Sure. Right? It seems like there's turnover everywhere else except for those three programs. And I love Mike Hopkins. I think he's going to be at Washington for a while. But when the playing field's as even as it is, I'm going to decide with one of those three. And in this case, I'm going with Tad Boyle because I love experience. Sure. Okay. And, yeah, you know, you do look at – if you look at their roster at Washington, and this is exactly why I think that they have probably the lowest floor – of any of those four teams because they are returning so few people and even quad a green who's a junior is still a transfer so he's still first year in the system and you know really the only person they have of their starting lineup that was impactful last year is nas carter and i mean homie Wright, maybe he averaged three points a game last year so it's not to say that's why i think that their floor is so low because they have a bunch of new people, but their ceiling is super high because you could almost compare this to almost like a Kentucky situation where they just get a bunch of five-star dudes in there and McDonald's All-Americans and hope we can bring them all together. It's tough. I do like Mike Hopkins a lot. I am just not a big Syracuse zone believer though. So it's tough for me to continue to pick a team that runs 95% zone, more zone than any other school in the country to a win a conference because I think that those that zone does two things for you. It opens you up to uh, upsets, but it also, you know, in a way can confuse people, the, you know, better teams on a normal night. It's a strange way to look at things where you say they probably have more of a likelihood to lose to the Oregon States of the world as they do. They have the highest likelihood to upset like an Arizona on the road. Yeah. And I agree with all of those. And I want to go down a quick rabbit hole, actually. I had mentioned the tenures of those coaches. So we talk about Altman. He, he's been there for quite some time. Utah, I think, Kristoviak has mm-hmm. been there for, what, five years? 
I mean, I so he's more, I, maybe more than that, but yeah, more, sure. But he's not on the level of Altman or or Sean or uh, Tad Boyle. I know all three of those guys have been there before Kristoviak. At least it seems that way. Then you look at Cal. They just got Mark Fox. By the way, they are going to be awful. awful. They might be the worst D one team. Terrible of the power of the power teams, I should say. Uh, Oregon State Tinkle's been there for what five years now or so. Yeah, that actually might just be my de facto number of years that, of, that I'm <laughs> wondering for college basketball coaches. Eddie Enfield, it seems like five years at, at USC. Mike Hopkins, obviously entering his second year of oh, that Jared Haas at Stanford. He looks like such an accountant. I think he's been there for well, three years. Kind of, everybody at Stanford looks like an accountant. Him especially, though, man, when he tries to look fired up, it's hysterical. So. <laughs> Jared Haas has so, only been there so for So forced, it's not natural at all. Yeah, you know? dude, we, come on. And then Mick Cronin entering his first year at UCLA. Bobby Hurley's been there for... Let's call it five years, huh? Four, <laughs> four or five years, yeah. And then Washington State, to be honest with you, dude, I couldn't tell you their, their coach. Uh, I've read his name at least 15, 20 times in the last two days, and I still... I, I think I read it three minutes before we started this. It's still Ernie Kent to me. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, is Taylor Rochester still the point guard? <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, well that... let's table that discussion for a further, for later on in this episode, I guess. My eyes literally just went like out of my head because he named one of my starting five. I'll give uh, you the explanations later. But uh, without further ado, let's get into the starting five. Uh, before okay. We do that, All right. Before we do that, though, a quick message from our guy Zach at the Barn Burner podcast network all right taylor let's get into our starting five you've completely blown the lid off of one of them <laughs> so i guess i'll actually kick it off yeah sure go ahead man after you i can't believe you fucking sniped taylor rochester man my name is taylor how would i not know a, true. a taylor rochester okay taylor rochester guard at washington state man i love that team and i feel like that team was the last semi or no pretty consistently good washington state team I can't remember. I don't even think they were that good with Clay Thompson on the roster. No, no, they weren't. It was just Clay was awesome. But Rochester, Derek Lowe, Kyle Weaver, and Tony Bennett. Oh, Kyle Weaver. Those names ringing a bell, dude. Kyle Weaver was like a prettier, better-looking Tony Snell, in my opinion. (laughs) They they have like the exact same look, kind of. What an analogy right there. But that team was that team was really cool, and I think everyone knows how great Tony Bennett is now. But he gets his start at Washington State, and his his guy was Taylor Rochester, and he was holding it down for the white guards when it wasn't necessarily uh, the the most flashy thing in the Pac-12, right? Pac-12 guards, you don't think of of the white guys. Maybe T.J. McConnell. Yeah, Derek Glasser around the same time for ASU, but that's yeah. a name that, that's a name that I probably would never ever want to say again if given the opportunity. I'd, Rather just wipe that name out of any of my memory bank at all, or we could just say Derek Glasser's mom is hot. Like yeah. that is that is a fact. That's probably what I'll the analysis I'll bring with Glasser. What was his dad? Uh, wasn't his dad the creator of like seven genes? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Continue on. This is too much discussion about him already. No, 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 no. It's okay. I like these rabbit holes, man. But Taylor Rochester was holding it down for the white guards, and he had a really good career at Washington State. He ranks in the top ten in three point field goal percentage. And uh, and in free throw percentage as well, and the another the big reason I have him on my roster as well is because it is a perfect name for Gus Johnson to belt out 
when he hits a big time shot. Yes, he mouthed it, but we're gonna have to do it live, baby. He just got just imagine Taylor Rochester coming down the court, hitting a big time three in the sweet 16 to push to, to push whoever the fuck their coach is now to to the elite oh, eight, right? Kyle Smith is is the name of the coach. I've come on. Really? <laughs> That's like the most of generic name ever, too. Okay, but say with me now. Rochester. <laughs> just the C H. The hard syllables is, is crucial for me. So I'm going to go Taylor Rochester there. My next guy is Isaiah Thomas, University of Washington. Little man that could. Yeah, see, I had to get you back. Little man that could, an absolute bucket getter. Arizona fans know how much he ripped our heart outs in the Pac-12 tournament with a signature shot, his signature I, college s- shot. Second Gus Johnson reference here of the starting five. Correct. Technically you know, the third, though, because in the intro, we have this call. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, you know, I also have Isaiah Thomas, I must say. there. That's probably, of all the big games that Arizona has lost over the years, the, ones that, the one that I was least upset about. Because it was Gus Johnson on the call. It was just a sick three at the end of the game over Momo Jones. And in the Staples Center, it was cold blooded and, and i yeah i just i i never had any disdain for isaiah thomas in college and maybe it was just because he's five foot nothing um i i, I just always loved it and those washington teams were a lot of fun um except for the ha- boy overton that creepy yeah well yeah he's a pedophile so uh, other than him of course i was gant was on those teams uh coupon Quincy Pondexter was on those teams. Terrence, yep. Terrence Ross was on those teams. Yep. So, yeah, those are. I, I actually really like those teams, and uh, I that was a fun. We had a couple fun back and forth, Arizona and Washington there uh, those years. So I didn't really, I didn't hate Isaiah Thomas. I actually really liked Isaiah Thomas. In fact, I liked him so much, almost specifically because of that call is why I put him on my list as well. Notable, dude. It's a no. It's his signature. Uh, move and potentially Gus's signature call as well. And I think another reason why we didn't care that much to have lost that game is because that Arizona team was such an overachieving, likable team. The fact that they were in the Pac-12 title game to begin with, I think that was with the when we realized Derek Williams was going to be a college stud. But the fact that they were in that game was kind of impressive to, in its, in well, its, bonus, right, in its and, own right. And when you look back in retrospect, you know, how Arizona finished that year, you know, crushing Duke in the Sweet 16 and then getting Kemba in the Elite Eight was, it, I mean, it was a hell of a way to end the year, even though it was in a loss, you know, it was a hell of a way to end the year. And so looking back at that loss that Isaiah Thomas handed to us, it was almost just like part of the process or part of the fun of the year. Because you never expect a team to go undefeated or even just have one or two losses. You have to lose something along the way. And so the way that loss per- happened particularly is is why it was almost enjoyable now when you look back at it. I think you can make the argument that diminutive guards for Arizona was that team's that like postseason kryptonite, right? Oh, yeah. So I also think I have Isaiah Thomas. And this is cheating, 100% sure. But he's on my roster for what he did in a Celtics uniform. Uh, if you know me, I'm a huge Celtics fan. Isaiah Thomas, one of the coolest Celtics. I mean, I'm not going to put him up in the in the rafters or the the discussion with the Paul Pierce or anything like that. But 
Isaiah Thomas uh, had that amazing game against Washington where I think he scored 50-plus points after the death of his sister. Just an all-time nice guy. Uh, And for Washington, you could say that he continued the tradition of solid guards that have gone through there. Think about Nate Robinson. You think about Brandon Roy, who Kobe has multiple times said the toughest players he's ever guarded. And then you even think about more recently DeJounte Murray, who's balling out right now for the Spurs. Tony Roten was good. I mean, he was okay there, but... Yeah, I mean, you look at the talent that Seattle and the Washington area has as a whole, especially as, oh, Jason Terry's from Seattle. Obviously, he didn't go to Washington, but he's from Seattle. Um, yeah, the, the talent they put out there is sneaky, like top five basketball recruiting hotbed in the country type of deal. They're like from Rainier Beach, too. That right. one that one little neighborhood. So. Uh, Avery, Bradley, to, Avery Bradley, Avery Bradley from Tacoma, Tacoma as well. yeah. yeah. So I had to give some love to IT. I never in a million years would have thought my backcourt of starting five back 12, Pac-12 players would be from UW and Wazoo, but here we are with IT and Taylor Rochester. Don't worry, mine's worse than yours. So, All right, <laughs> let's get into now more fun names. OJ Mayo. Okay. Juice Condiment <laughs> made my – I mean, he made <laughs> USC basketball fun. This was kind of the time where – USC was slowly transitioning away from or starting to suck in football. I think this was like the Mark Sanchez era where they still won a Rose Bowl. But I think a lot of people saw the end coming near for Pete Carroll and also USC. And that's exactly what's happened. They haven't really recovered in like seven years, except for Sam Darnold going to a Rose Bowl. Ten years now, really. You know, if you think if you think both not to dive off into too big of a football discussion, but that USC Texas national championship game, uh, was kind of like the beginning of the end in a way for both of both those. Teams. You know, Texas still went to another national championship game and got crushed by Alabama, but you can almost pinpoint that national championship game as kind of like where things started to crest and move downward for both of those football uh, programs. But continue on. No, continue was, on our basketball podcast here. No, you're fine. At least in terms of national title appearances, absolutely. Because you had mentioned that one against – uh, Alabama, where Colt McCoy got hurt, but USC hasn't really, really sniffed one it. in a little bit, right? They barely, they barely win the conference. Yeah, exactly. Right. So OJ Mayo, though, he made basketball fun at USC. While that transition was happening, USC basketball isn't a thing. People don't. It's not a brand. Nobody really cares about it. But OJ Mayo made it awesome, and he was just such a sick athlete. He led them to a tournament berth with. If you think I'm hard on Tad Boyle. OJ Mayo led them to a tournament berth with Tim Floyd as their coach. Mm. Tim Floyd is one of the most useless coaches ever. Him and Kevin O'Neill, who is also a a USC coach. But I I have to give anyone who can take Tim fucking Floyd to the tournament deserves a spot on my team. And actually, a quick little nugget, another pop quiz. Do you know who USC and OJ Mayo played in that first round in the tournament? That would have been in 2007, right? He was actually this this player and team. Well, this player was on your uh, Big 12 starting five. Um, 2007. Michael Beasley. Bingo. Wow. E Easy and OJ Mayo played in the first game. I think. I don't know who won that game. I think K-State won that game because everyone knew O.J. Mayo was completely gone after the first year. Same with Beasley, but I think 
nobody the, really. Case it was just better. Yeah, and, and, they and, B, and Beasley was just better. Really, yeah, exactly. So, so. so it's funny to see that both of their last collegiate games led them to obviously NBA prosperity, and then OJ Mayo has been suspended for like a ever. year and a half. Yeah, is it ever? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Actually, so if I had a high school basketball starting five, oh, I think I would yeah. put OJ Mayo on that. Maybe Derrick Rose on that too, but OJ Mayo specifically for his dunk and throw the ball into the uh, upper deck of the crowd during the West Virginia uh, state championship game. One of the more iconic, that's when like ball is life mixtapes and stuff were really like in their prime was the late mid to late two thousands when like everybody learned that they could put things on YouTube. And so I think I watched high school basketball mixtapes from uh, sunrise to sunset most days during that time and oj mayos was one of my favorite just dunking from out of nowhere i think he th- oh, i think he threw the ball off of the backboard yep, then dunked did. then took it threw the ball into like the upper deck and then got kicked the fuck out of the state championship game only way to go out man and two things about that play number one is that it's actually oj mayo's birthday today so wow shout out oj mayo hug for you welcome to my roster that's your birthday gift you get you get drafted by me but number two we had talked about this in our big 12 episode and i'm going to tie these episodes together we talked a little bit about how there's talent in these random towns right there's talent in these random hometowns you look at a guy like nathan adrian who Mm -hmm. was from morgantown he ended up going to west virginia the reason i use that example is because uh oj mayo is from like huntington west virginia correct yeah which i think is where marshall is it's and like Randy Moss and Jay Williams, Jason Williams, excuse me. So it was always weird to me that OJ Mayo is from West Virginia. So can we even um, count OJ Mayo considering, I think with his improper benefits thing combined at the same time at Reggie Bush that none of those games actually supposedly happened. So we can count him because that's exactly another reason why I have him on my team is because Wonderful. he was, the, he was the bad boy. He was the bad boy, and this was him and Reggie Bush were the epitome of the guys that they, they were. They were made to be examples, but it just showed how ridiculous the NCAA is stripping them of their victories, stripping Reggie Bush of his Heisman. Shut the fuck up. OJ Mayo and Reggie Bush were electric at USC, and they had back to back sort of tenures being able to watch Bush and, and Mayo, obviously Bush much longer than Mayo, but OJ right. Mayo is on my team. Next. I'm going to go Kevin love loved. Mm. I had to go Kevin love for this one. Amazing rebounder. One of the best college rebounders of all time and uh, still somehow an underrated rebounder. I feel like in the NBA uh, or really NBA circles uh, underrated college player too. I think yes. when you look back at and ask people who are great college players, I don't think Kevin Love comes up very often, even though in reality he was absolutely dominant at UCLA. I had to give Kevin Love on here as well because he was fat, had a chin strap, and he just held it down for the thick, like white trash drug dealer type looking guys. That was Kevin Love in a nutshell because he had the thinnest pencil thin mustache covering up what was almost pretty much a double chin and his jerseys. Oh my God. His jerseys were so big. Huge. Hey, but his chin strap was crispy though. He had to, he, I mean, if you're going to pull off a chin strap to keep your head on, I don't know what else a chin strap is for. You got to keep it lined up, but Kevin love, I will say this about him. Uh, I already talked about his rebounding and that's what a lot of people talk, talk about him when they, when they discuss him. Mm-hmm. 
but his outlet passes oh, were some sorry. of the sexiest plays in basketball. If if you think like just a regular chess pass, if I told you that these were just essentially regular chess passes, but he made them look so good, I don't know if you'd believe me. His like I, like the ball would go through the hoop, he would get it, take it from out of bounds, and just fling it. And this is a college kid doing it. So I have a Kevin Love pop quiz for you since you were on the pop quiz train today. Which other five-star recruit in Oregon did Kevin Love lose the state championship game to his senior year? Was it Kyle Singler? Kyler Singler is correct. Kyle Singler, man, that rat. Yeah, he he ended up winning a national title at Duke. He just – I hate him so much. But, yeah, another guy uh, right there from Oregon. What a – I mean – there have been a couple of good guys. Terrence Jefferson was from Portland as well. Uh, but it's funny. I'm trying to think of all the other guys. Jefferson that or Jones? Was it Terrence Jones? Terrence Jones, excuse me. Guy who went Jones. to Kentucky, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he originally committed to Washington and then went to Kentucky like literally the last possible day he could. Um, he was also from that Portland area, but I can't think of anybody off the top of my head that has been sick, like, the, like that type of level of sick from Portland since those two and three guys, I guess, if we count Jones a couple of years later. So Absolutely. And then, of course, he couldn't go. There's always a player. There's always multiple players, I should say, that have one particular factoid that you can't go in any single game without hearing. And Kevin Loves was, he could not go a game without hearing about how his uncle was a member of the Beach Boys. Every single time. There's always that one factoid about some a set of players that you always have to hear. Sean Miller, even. Did you know he was on the Johnny Carson show dribbling a basketball? Did you know he threw the pass to, to uh, Jerome? What, what can I think of his last name? Send, uh, it, in, send it in, Jerome. Not Robinson Williams. I don't know. But it was yeah. Jerome. Yeah, he's Sean Miller was provided the pass for the send it in Jerome call. I and I swear it's always at when there's a lull in play when the player's at the foul line. Kevin Love would be at the foul line and be like, Kevin Love, actually, the nephew of blah 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 in the Beach Boys. Hey, did you know that Jimmy Graham played basketball? Those, yes. Every single time you have to hear it. So Kevin Love earns a spot on my roster, and then I'm gonna round it out with this one. Now get ready. It may be a little bit of a diatribe, but I'll try and keep it brief. Salim Stoudemire, my favorite Arizona player ever. He's the greatest shooter of all time. Yes, I've got, this isn't a repeat of uh, you know this isn't a glitch. He is the greatest shooter of all time in college basketball. Yes, he is better than JJ Redick by a lot. Salim, and I'm about to make that point. Salim made 123s in his senior season while shooting a ridiculous 50%, 50% from fucking three college basketball players. Some can't even go 50% from the strike. Salim was making 123s a senior year while shooting 50%. That is percentage is the sixth best three point percentage ever. He's one of three players to make a hundred plus threes while shooting 50% or better. Redick never shot above 45% from three in a season. Neither did Stefan Wardell Curry, Wardell Stephen Curry, excuse me. And neither did Jimmer. Now, without sounding like a nerd, Salim's efficiency went up despite taking more shots. His true shooting percentage. So we're talking twos. We're talking threes. We're talking free throws. His true shooting percentage was 68.9%, which rounded up as 69%. Nice. Nice. Swag Afro. The baggy (laughs) uniform. 
the greatest pure shooter there ever was. And if we're talking about players that gave us great calls, Salim Stoudemire gave us an all-time call from Brett Musburger when he and even Steve Lavin when they played UCLA at home. And you know how he did it? You know how he got that call for us? By fucking stepping like two feet over the half-court line, taking a couple dribbles between his legs, and burying one. I'm talking shooting an absolute rope into the eye of, I think it was Josh Ship or someone, or Aaron Aflalo, someone from UCLA. Someone that was there for like 13 years for UCLA. Yes, both of Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. The greatest shooter of all time, Salim Mother Trucking Stoudemire. All right, well, let's just wrap the episode up after that. That's fine. I know you got thoughts on Yeah. I know you got thoughts on No, I mean, everything that you just said is completely correct. That, I can tell you, word for word, that exact um, call by Lavin and Musburger. Do it. Let's go. I'll, I'll put it in and we'll get a comparison. Subi, you got to let the kids decide the game. A little push out there. I like it. Damon, my friend, are you listening? 22 second half points, 31 for the game. Yeah. Oh, what a. There it is. The U of A chant. Talk about a dagger. Five to go. This for the game. Stoudemire, deep three. Yes. With 2.5 His last play with 1.2 seconds. Pac-10 basketball. Or did they get the timeout called over here? Enough of the ACC and the Big Ten, Brent. What about Pac-10 basketball? Back-to-back threes, counter-punching each other. Sold-out crowd. This kid's a freshman. Are you kidding me? A step back, even pushed off. Got away with it. No call. I like it. Let the kids decide the game. And then right back at you, the senior. He's been there before. Ice in the veins. There's the champ, U of A. Stoudemire hoists an NBA three. Said, Damon, are you watching, my friend? 24 second half points. 32 total. That's a wonderful call. Yeah, Salim is the man. Uh, I had a game winner in the tournament uh against oklahoma state i believe it was it his senior year yeah senior year i think so i think in the sweet 16 before a, a game that we'll never talk about again uh, against illinois but yeah salim is you know uh, when it comes to i mean i could have picked 20 dudes for arizona honestly and salim is honestly one that i didn't go with because i thought that you were going to pick salim and so that would have been a little difficult if we had like literally the same exact roster so yeah. luckily i guessed correctly that time but Salim was just, he was a quintessential, like, Lute Olsen guard to fast, uh, athletic, um, and what, what's the word? Oh, like, a, played at a frenetic pace, up-tempo teams. Yeah, the, just a classic Arizona team uh, led by our boy, Salim Stoudemire. So I got Salim, Kevin Love getting the non-existent missed shots from Salim. OJ Mayo to throw it down and throw the ball into the crowd. Isaiah Thomas and Taylor Rochester. Who you got? So, okay. Oof. You got a lot of guards. Yes, I do. So, 
that's kind of like a Lute Olsen team, I really. So I don't have as many guards, but I do have Isaiah Thomas, which we've already discussed. So I'll switch over to a guy from a school that probably has the least fun players of any team in this conference, and that's Stanford. And I went with athletic freak Josh Childress from Stanford. Wow. The worst gum-to-tooth ratio you'll ever see. Look like a dolphin. But but also one of the best Afros and one of the just athletic freaks he played. And it it, it worked out so perfectly, too, because he played for the the Atlanta Hawks in the Highlight Factory right after he got out out of college. But, you know, how many kids from Compton go to Stanford? Very few, I'm guessing. He was a Pac-10 player of the year in 2004. He was a second-team All-American in 2004. They were awesome in that time with the um, with the Lopez bros and stuff that were there. So those were actually really fun Stanford teams. I remember they beat uh, Arizona in what, – what year was the shot? Was it 04? I think it was, was that with like Chris oh, Hernandez. Who's their point guard? Their yeah. little point guard. Yeah, I, I can't remember. But yeah. I, I do remember that my boy, everybody's boy, Tiger Woods, was on the sidelines for that one because it was like a number four versus number two, Arizona, yep. Stanford, whatever. Yep. And so that was pretty awesome if you were a Stanford fan or just a fan of basketball. So, yeah, first-team All-American, Pac-10 Player of the Year, athlete. Uh, and another guy that I'm going to compare uh, to Hakeem Work at the same time because and they actually both played together on the suns uh kind of those last um steve nash years but just versatile and also just a guy that if he was in today's world would have just left he stayed at stanford for for three years in today's world he would have left after like his freshman or sophomore year so yeah uh my boy with his fro six eight josh childress Next, we're going to go with another athletic freak. A little newer, or a little more uh, modern, but we're going with my man, light-skinned Jared Cunningham from Oregon State. Wow, I forgot about Cunningham. He was an he athletic was, freak. He was sick, too. I mean, he was an all-Pac-12 team member. He averaged like 18 points a game his senior year, and he had some of the sickest like tip-in dunks that we would see in the league. And actually, that, that Oregon State team was one of those years was decent. I think. I think right? you're right. They right? were decent. I, th- I think they were decent. I don't know if they were They might have been in the tournament. I don't even know if they were in the tournament. But I think they were it was pre-Tinkle. Like Cunningham was there pre-Tinkle, I think. Yeah, they were it was pre-Tinkle. They were like NIT good that year, I think. Maybe like something like that. I don't know. He was just an athletic freak. I really liked him and I really he made at least Oregon State games like watchable. You know, I'm a big, as we both are, just college basketball freaks. So if it's a Tuesday night or a Thursday night or Wednesday night or whatever at 11 p.m., it's the only game on. So at least Jared Cunningham gave us something to watch in those Oregon State games. So that's why I thank him. This is more like a thank you to him for making some awful Pac-12 games in Corvallis. Very watchable. So if you think that you have small guards... Let me talk to you about a guy named Tawan Porter from Oregon. All five foot seven, hundred and fifty-five pounds of Tawan Porter. You got some awesome names so far, man. <laughs> I completely forgot about these guys. Well, I mean, that was back in like those were kind of like transition years for Oregon basketball. They 
I'm not sure they even made the tournament in that time. Maybe one time did, did Tawan Porter go to the tournament, but he was kind of like on the precipice of the, I'm just going to shoot a three every single possession down the court. He is the all-time leader in threes for uh, Oregon. And I'm not sure if this is updated, but it, it, in, this may have meant for the Pac-10, not the current Pac-12, but I can't really think of someone who would have made more. And that is that he was the, uh, he's the all-time leader in three-point field goals in the Pac-10. Tuan Yeah. At well, least maybe he, he's a better shooter than Salim. 345 is how many he made. So, Good Lord. Yeah. So, I mean, I just, I, I, I remember him on that team uh, probably more than any player from that era of Oregon. And so I had to go with little diminutive. I try to have a diminutive guard on each team. This time I have two. Um, luckily, you picked a team that I, my team would, would be the only defensive opportunity we would have is if you trotted out like that, ro- that Ta- Taylor Rochester. Yeah, because yeah, I don't know who Tuan Poirier was guarding. But so for my last guy, I had to go with an Arizona person, of course. Like I said, I could have picked 20 uh, for various different reasons. I could have picked Derek Williams because he was kind of like the first guy that gave us hope about Arizona basketball after tumultuous times. Salim Sotomayor, favorite player for Arizona growing up. Andre Iguodala, awesome. Uh, TJ McConnell was 50-50, but I went with one of TJ McConnell's teammates, and that is another athletic freak in Aaron Gordon. And so even though Aaron Gordon was only at Arizona for a year, I could don't think I've ever been more excited about one single team that I root for in any sport across anything than I was about that Aaron Gordon, TJ McConnell, Brandon Ashley, Tark Zuski, Nick Johnson, that team that ended up losing to Wisconsin in the Elite Eight because that team was the best team in the country and would have won a national championship and maybe would have gone fucking undefeated if Brandon Ashley doesn't hurt his ankle that year. And honestly, that's that would be my TED talk is we could go on. I could go. I could do a whole podcast episode just about that particular situation. But Aaron Gordon, I think, is what kind of put us over the edge to say, like, this team is not just great. This team is a national championship contender because he was just a freak on the defensive end. And he provided two to three sports center top 10 highlight reel plays on only an almost nightly basis. His inbound dunk plays were unbelievable. He had one against Colorado and Zav- and he stuffed Xavier Johnson. Xavier Johnson that particular year had talked a lot of shit about Arizona. And in that game, not only did Aaron Gordon get above, his head above the rim and dunk on him, but he also just absolutely blo- uh, blocked him, stuffed him at the rim in that game. And it's a real shame that he, A, couldn't shoot free throws, uh, B, that that team didn't go farther than the Elite Eight. I love that that roster, and I'm a little sad now. Typically, I'm pretty happy with the at the end of these shows. I think we did a good job, and I, I just feel good, right, <laughs> having expressed my creativity and my uh, using this as a creative outlet. And then you just went through that Arizona roster, and man, I'm no, sad, bro. It's still like, I still I'm wake sad. up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night. I remember. And sorry, not that anybody listening is going to know anything about where we're talking about, but I remember on University Boulevard sitting there at General Benz with my head down on the on the table for like 20 minutes after that game ended because I knew that that was for that was sure. I knew that was for sure going to be our best national championship opportunity 
and 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 has proven to be that because I I really 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 liked the next year's team that also lost to Wisconsin in the Elite Eight. But that team with Aaron Gordon to me was just and Nick, and Nick Johnson and just it, it, it was such a likable team. It was such a there was no holes in that team. And so, yeah, it was just a pretty sad day. So this is why we should have ended with Salim Stoudemire yeah, and, not, and not with, well, actually, we did kind of both end our zone of picks with crushing Elite Eight defeats. Yeah, yeah, we did. I wonder if that's a theme with Arizona. Well, Sub, should we get into our hugs and maybe make ourselves feel better about Please, our lives? Please, for the love of God, who are you giving so, our hugs so to? So our hug is, I, I have a shout out and a hug. So my shout out first is actually to your home area. And that is the Northeast. There's a guy in the Northeast. It's called the Hoops Journey. And what he's doing is his goal is to go to all 128 college basketball or college campuses in the Northeast at all various levels, NAIA all the way up to D1, and go to a basketball game at each arena. Not this year, obviously, because that's that would be impossible. But over the course of his lifetime. And so he started a blog about that called the Hoops Journey. And I thought that was pretty cool because one of the things I've always wanted to do is, you know, kind of go hit all of the big college basketball arenas in a year. He's extrapolating this out to his home area, your home area, the Northeast in New England, and take, wants to go to all the schools in the area for a basketball game. So I thought I was reading that today. I thought that was pretty cool. So shout out to him. But my hug is for us as fans, not just that tonight we get the Champions Classic, but you kind of referenced it earlier. Because we also get the number one and number two uh, LSU against Alabama in football this weekend. And so my little nugget for you guys that you can talk about around the water cooler as you, after you listen to this is this is the closest in proximity time-wise that we'll have a number one and number two matchup in college basketball and a number one and number two matchup in college football. The closest in time they've ever happened together. Five that is days. a nugget. Yep. Now there was one time that there was six days, but it wasn't considered to be within the same week of rankings cadences. So this is the first time it's ever happened within the same week of, of ranking cadence. That is the coolest nugget I've heard this week. And it actually just surpassed another nugget that I found out about on the heels of the nationals winning the world series. It didn't even cross my mind, but the fact that Kawhi Leonard and Steven Strasburg, both from SDSU, one in a sporting calendar year, their respective finals MVPs. So I, that outdoes that. I thought you were going to say with that, uh, that Kawhi beat the Warriors in both whatever arenas, to, one to end the year uh-huh. and one to start the year in their, in their old and new arena. But I like I, the Steven Strasburg. Actually, I have Steven Strasburg, awesome for him because there were a couple of years there where after his Tommy John surgery that uh, – it looked really dicey for him. So shout out Steven Strasburg and Kawhi from SDSU. I remember actually bringing this back to college basketball. I watched Kawhi and SDSU play Arizona, sat near Steve Kerr at Viejas Arena, and watched SDSU uh, honor Steven Strasburg at halftime. So there's bringing it Not all crazy. the way back to that's bringing it all the way back to college basketball right there. Wow. Incredible. All right. My hug is for Andrew Jones, cancer survivor for Texas. His story is very well documented, but the fact that we're all thankful for college basketball being back with, I mean, it's almost Thanksgiving also. So we have other things to be thankful about as well. The fact that Andrew Jones has beaten cancer and is now going to come back and play significant minutes for Shaka Smart 
is nothing short of remarkable. It's a fantastic story. If you haven't heard of it, please go read it. Andrew Jones is just such a likable dude. He's always had just a, a wonderful sense of spirit throughout this entire ordeal when he easily could have just said, you know, I don't want to come back to college basketball. I don't know about school anymore. Things of that nature. He, again, defeated cancer, uh, is going to play, and that is probably the story of this season. The fact that he's even going to be out there competing at a high level uh, for Shaka Smart in Texas, I hope we get to see him in the tournament this year. Yeah, he's legitimately, not only is his story awesome, but he's actually legitimately good and might be. It was Andrew Jones was one of my reasons uh, why Texas might be actually a little better than anticipated this year and might even save Shaka Smart's job. But that is not even, that pales in, in importance in, to the fact that he has gotten through his leukemia diagnosis, his beat cancer, his return to the basketball court. Ladies and gentlemen, those are all of your previews. We are fully fucking back. College of Hoops is back. We're going to be looking for so much theater this upcoming year. Reminder to go follow us at CBB Theater on Twitter because every single time that there's a close game, I will be tweeting out the gif of Farmer Fran from The Waterboy twisting his nipples when the ball's in the air. And that's by sig- that is me basically throwing out the bat symbol to you saying, Go watch this fucking game because it's getting real, real. I guess I should ask you before we are we before we go, since you do run the Twitter account for College Basketball Theater. So this is squarely on you. Are you ready for all of the theater that we're going to see in College Hoops this year? Yes. Are your, your are your thumbs prepared? Absolutely, they are. And if not, I'll have to enlist you as well because <laughs> during the summertime, we discuss this all the t- uh, we discuss this every day and every episode that we're getting our reps in. Even in the fall, right towards early September, mid-September, we're still getting our reps in. No more time for reps. This no is the excuses. real deal, Holyfield, baby. We're ready to go. Enjoy the games. Uh, we will be back next episode to break down Kentucky, Michigan State, Duke, can, Duke, and Kansas, and then any other theater that might transpire in that time. Beautiful. I can't wait.